reflect on this text this morning um, as we kind of complete a short two-week series that we've been doing here at St. Mark, a series called That Just Happened, an opportunity for us to look at what's going on in the world around us, things that have going on this past week, and be able to reflect on that through the lens of our Christian faith, and be able to address any concerns that our faith is not relevant for the lives of, um, or in the world that we live in, but to really boldly confess and say, yeah, our faith really does not just impact our personal lives, but how we can look at, engage with, and view the world. And so last week, we was our, it was just a two-week series. Last week, Pastor James walked us through the, um, really the atrocities and the attacks that were happening in the Middle East that were still fresh on the headlines. They continue to dominate much of the news in this past week. Although the stories and some of the developments have continued to change. We had things like the um, uh, explosion of the hospital in, in Gaza. There's a humanitarian crisis that, um, and, and how we get aid in and out is still a big concern. But also the Israeli hostages that are being placed, and thankfully we saw a couple of them and, and maybe more have, have been released. But also, even within our own, locally here on the national scale, we continue just to have division in fighting. It's not really anything new, but we continue to have division in our Congress. After multiple votes, still unable to find a Speaker of the House, among many things going on. And so, again, this opportunity for us is to engage with what is going on with the world. And I'm not here necessarily to um, give a detailed explanation or rundown of like geopolitical politics. Um, I'm not the one to ask for that, nor am I to give much uh, construction on or, uh, or uh, judgment on the most recent um, suspension of Brian Abreu for two games. Um, actually, that is worth saying. That is clearly an act of injustice. Um, he did not deserve it, but uh, we're gonna press on anyway. Um, with, uh, with our Astros this week. But no, really, it's an opportunity for us to look at what's going on, to have a conversation, and continue a conversation on how our faith applies. But before we get too much into what's going on um, with this week, I want to have a moment of, for you to reflect, or a moment for us to kind of think about um, taking a step back and, and think about what is your relationship with the news? In other words, we're, we're all in some way, there's different ways in which we engage with the news, particularly how the news is portrayed to us and through how the news um, through the media. Whether it's reading a newspaper uh, every morning, whether it's scrolling through the news websites or on social media, or maybe it's watching on television, whatever your favorite program or channel is. Ways in which we receive the news that are going on here and around the world. But we also have our own attitudes that we have towards the news, of, of our interest level of what is going on around us and around the world. Some of us like to be, this may be you, like to be on top of the news, want to know what's going on, to be in the know, to be educated, to be informed, to be able to have constructive conversations where those are available. And that might be something just on your own local level, that might be on a national level, that might be even on your interest in getting, being in the know on a global scale. And maybe it's more specifically, it's, it's politics, or maybe it's the financial markets, or maybe it's even what's going on in sports and entertainment. Like for me, 
while I'm not, wouldn't say I'm fixated and obsessed, but I am continuing to try to follow and see what's going on in the lives of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Okay, um, the latest celebrity couple that brings both like entertainment and sports together. Latest I hear is Travis is gonna be going with Taylor on her International Eras tour. Um, whatever, you yeah, know, cool. Um, and then uh, we'll see if she's at Arrowhead today. Um, that's always the thing that people wanna know. And some of y'all are like so done with it, like, like we're done with this or don't care. Uh, but that's the reality. There's things that we have interest in that we care about um, that we're, we want to be in the know, to track what's going on around the world or even um, in the, on the sports page. Some of us might be on the other end. We're a little bit more indifferent to what's going on. And I don't necessarily, that might be in a good way or that might not necessarily be in a bad way. It might be really, you, maybe you just don't care. Maybe you don't see how it applies to you, how it applies to your life or why it matters. Some might, might just simply feel the pressure of their own demands and time in their life and really just don't have enough emotional or uh, mental bandwidth to give towards what's going on uh, around them in the news and just aren't necessarily informed um, and aren't necessarily concerned about that. Might just simply be indifferent. And then other of us, there's always all kinds of combinations of that in between. Some of us might be distrustful of the news. We um, don't like necessarily, it's not so much with the news of what's happening, but how the news is presented to us and how we receive it and how it's full of all kinds of uh, agendas and biases that uh, stories continue to evolve and change. We had that this week. Uh, with the, the, the explosion in the Gaza hospital, whether that was uh, an intentional strike or an accidental. And that story continued to evolve and change. We have concerns of things like fake news, and that only continues to be a reality in our world of AI and technology that can just continue to push things out. Campaigns by other countries who just might be feeling distrustful. And then maybe to a lesser degree, factoring in some of those things, we might just simply be confused. We want to be engaged. We want to know what's going on. We want to know not just the who, what, and the where, but also how and why things are happening the way that we are and might pique some interest. But at the same time, we're still trying to sort through really what's going on and having to put some trust somewhere. And maybe in trying to sort all that can still feel confused. Whatever it is for you, there's attitudes that we have towards things that are going on in our world, whether it is we are um, completely fixated or obsessed or we just are completely indifferent. Or maybe our fixation is on particular things um, and at the exclusion of others. But often it's the major world events that even if we're indifferent brings our attention in. And this matters because our, our relationship and, and, and our attitude towards the news really influences how we respond. It, 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 it matters in that sense. It might just simply, in some ways, the things that we find out going on um, in the world might influence our own mood, our own um, uh, attitude for the day. Uh, we might simply have uh, um, something that's going on that really just affects us and affects our day. Saw this yesterday. I mean, the, 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 there was so much Astros gear yesterday. They weren't even playing. But that would be completely different, I think, if they had been swept, right? I mean, there's still diehard pride, but I mean, you just really see it come out. Um, and we're seeing it this morning, right? Um, but also, there's other ways in which it might influence us. 
We might um, use that information for some other purpose on how we respond. We might ha um, have an opinion that we are eager and willing to share, and maybe that's part of a, a conversation with people that are similar, have similar interests, or maybe they just don't have any interests, and um, you're continuing to share your opinions um, with them. My wife can only take so much of the things that I care about, um, and I have to continue learning to hold my opinions. But some of us have that hot take, want to have what it is that, that's going on. And then others, one way in which that opinion might also get played out, and we're, and we're seeing that in this, seeing this last week, but it's, it's an ongoing thing, is um, in the response to certain things, certain usually major events, some type of a tragedy, some type of atrocity, um, there's, there's a, an outcry of, or even an outrage that goes on, particularly for things like justice. We see this played out, and we see this played out in physical ways and in, in, in tangible ways through demonstrations and, and protests. But the big thing that also happens where it's so rampant is online, through social media. And that's nothing new, that's nothing common, where people want to express their view, express their opinion, express um, what they think is wrong, making a statement. That happens on individual levels, that happens through um, larger names and faces, but also even entire corporations and businesses will post these things. That's not really anything new, but something that has been happening, um, not so much only this week, but it really got to my attention this week. There was an article in the New York Times, an opinion piece by Elizabeth Spears about this phenomena online, on social media that she was experiencing. Not so much that people were posting about it, but that there was this loud cry for people to post, that they, they, they were, it was demanded that you post. There's this expectation that you have to say something. And her article, if you see already up there, is, I don't have to post about my outrage, neither do you. Now, a lot of us are like, yeah, that's a really, really good point. But the reality is the fact that it's on the front page of the New York Times is that this is a, a problem that I mean, it's something that we see going on online, this cry out for outrage. And what she was pointing out and, and noticing is that this was the demand, if you've not made a statement, then that is an indication of your depraved indifference to human suffering. And people were being um, addressed and called out on all levels, businesses, um, in even just everyday people. And it was further taken that even if you were just to simply make a statement that expressed sorrow for the loss of life on both sides, for example, let's say Israel and Gaza, that's not enough. And there's this growing demand that, no, you've got to make a choice. Like, you can't just ride the sideline. There's this demand of, no, you've got to pick the greater victim or pick an enemy. And so in her summary of that, she's uh, noticing this, she's a journalist, she's greatly involved in this world. In her summary of this social media climate, she had this line that just really, really struck me. She says, the most righteous among us post, and they do it immediately. The most righteous among us post. This, this desire and drive for to be righteous. And in this world, that demands that you say something. You say something quick. Now, it's also interesting that this is on the front page of the New York Times, and so she's rejecting this idea and starting this conversation, and she rejects the idea that not posting is somehow wrong. I think many of us would agree with that. 
and also um, arguing that not everyone needs to speak all the time. Man, isn't that true? We need to have that restraint and that discipline at times. But that's so, so difficult and so unknown and foreign in our social media world. Now, this isn't really to talk about like, necessarily social media. Like, there's a lot to break down within that. There's a lot at the root of things like outrage, um, a lot that we just can't discuss in uh, this time frame. Um, and it's so complex, and there's a lot of things that are going on. But I bring that up because one thing that really just stood out to me in this is that I see a world trying to deal with brokenness, trying to deal with um, the evil and sin in our world or just the things that are just not going the way they should. It doesn't have to be just outright atrocities, although this was in this case. But to see a world trying to figure that out, trying to deal with a, a broken world, trying to deal with that and calling for justice, and, and, and this is perceived as a way to help make a difference. And I think part of that also is that feeling that we have that, like, I don't know what to do in this situation. That sometimes is our attitude towards the news. Like, there's nothing really that I can do. And so one way that that manifests, out so str- manifests itself so strongly is trying to deal and wrestle with this and, and, and to find a way to, to do something, and it comes out albeit in a, in, a, in a faulty way online. But I think at the root, we can look and at least acknowledge this world trying to deal with it and, and not having a, a full answer that social media can't really address. And so it's important to know how we respond. Like when we respond to the things that are going on, it reflects our view of the world in a lot of ways and how our view of the world is shaped. And that's important for us as Christians because we have a particular belief that God plays this critical foundational role in in not only who we are, but how we engage with the world in our lives. Um, That is so critical and foundational for us. And all throughout the scriptures, God is explaining throughout his word, shaping how we view the world through his teachings, and he's laying out commands, explanations, and he even demonstrates what it means to live in relation to him. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this. When God gathers Israel, he's constantly showing them what it means to be in relation to him. Jesus does this throughout his ministry and in his teachings. He's teaching and showing what it means to live as a part of this this kingdom that he is offering and, and, and promising to come and even is already here. And we see this also in the, in the emerging uh, early church, Paul, trying to, to speak to a people and say, you are now part of, of, of Christ's family. Here's what that looks like. So all throughout the scriptures, God's doing this, and, and we're looking particularly at one small little set of teaching that Paul gives to the Corinthian church, in Coloss- excuse me, in the Colossian church in chapter 2. It says right here in verse 6, you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to live as Christ's people. So that's kind of sums it a little bit for us. Living as Christ's people. Paul begins by pointing at what does it mean to be Christ's people? Like what does that look like before he starts talking about what it means to live out that and how that engages with the world around us? 
But in verse 7, right away, it talks about being rooted in Christ, this beautiful metaphor of being setting your roots deep in the ground. And that Christ would be our foundation. And that determines how we see the world, that we become people that actually reflect the character of God. Both in uh, the Old Testament, but Peter picks this up, this, this phrase of God that says, Be holy as I am holy. Be like God as, as he is. Now, of course, we can't, but there's this call here to, to reflect the character of God. And what that looks like in our lives, and that's constantly demonstrated and shown towards us, that all throughout the scriptures we can kind of summarize the character of God, of being, God being one of, of, of justice that is um, and doing battle against evil and sin in the world, and that full justice must be met, but also as a creating God that shows love, mercy, and compassion. And those two things are held in tension, and those two things are completely satisfied. That God is completely just and yet also completely loving. And so for us as people who are rooted in Christ, that's what our identity looks like. That's what our lives looks like. Now that's obvious for us, and yet this is something that is constantly repeated throughout the Scriptures. We constantly need to be reminded of that. Not just because we uh, can be fickle and foolish and, and just kind of prone to forget that, but also that we do face things outside of us that would try to draw us away from that foundation. And Paul gets to that. He continues that, that we need that reminder because there is this warning that he has. He, he warns us of this pull away from Christ, to be drawn away from him. He uses this in several ways as he's speaking to the Colossian church of, of not being led away uh, through a shallow and misleading philosophy, um, following human traditions, and really just the way the world does things. There's certainly particular things that that meant for the Colossian church and other ways that he addresses that. And some of those things are even prevalent and be part of our lives today. The, the, the values that are often emphasized, overemphasized, even if they are good things, that become the driving force of how the world does things. Values for power, values for status, influence, Things that can be good and beautiful if served and done in a way that is um, honoring to God. And yet, often the world's way of doing things does not reflect that. It might be uh, desires for power to, to control the narrative or to be in the seats of, of power and influence. And often what we've seen, uh, what we see happen throughout history, but it, it, it goes in cycles, is this kind of um, this race to the bottom of shedding down or shedding away some of our, of our values in order to, to meet the final goal, to justify what we're trying to achieve. We see this in our political atmosphere, but it's not really just there. We can be fed and influenced by that own idea that to get what I want, I'm willing to do some things that I probably otherwise would not have done before. It's, we see it all over. And yet Paul here, I think, in applying this, would, would, would have us guard ourselves from that, from in ourselves or even celebrating it when we see it happening. 
And yet one of the other tensions that we have here is when we look at the world, this, 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 it's, I, I hope you're not hearing this like, um, you know, beware of the, the, the evil out there and everything's out to kind of get you and, and um, the, the evil influence of the world. Those certainly are there and are true. But we also live in a world that as we acknowledge as Christians that people are created in the image of God, that we all bear that image, even as, if we, even as we live as broken people in this world. And I say that because I think the world is certainly trying to reconcile with these things, not necessarily from a Christian worldview or from any type of faith necessarily, although it does come into play as we have Christians engaging in the world around us. But it's not that it says necessarily that all of the world is evil. This wrestling with, as we saw earlier with the, with the outrage, and, and even as faulty as that is, there's this um, call and desire for, for justice, for righteousness, even if it is in many ways misguided. But another example of where that comes out is um, another article in the New York Times by, uh, uh, the author's name is Dan Barry. And he's writing about this board of pardons in Minnesota. The article is called, I Want to Be Forgiven. I Just Want to Be Forgiven. It really caught my attention. I mean, time you try to see like what we kind of consider like explicitly l- religious language, although forgiven is necessarily a religious language, but it's words that strike out, stick out to me. And so looking at that, these are, is a quote of somebody that's interviewed in this article. And it has to do with, as I said, this Minnesota board of pardons. They listened to uh, petitions for mercy for both prisoners and people that are formerly incarcerated. And, and really what, what, they, what goes on is um, each of these people that are uh, wanting to receive mercy and, and, and pardon um, have 10 minutes to kind of plea their case before this board. And story and story, story after story is recounted in this article of people just looking for a clean slate. Now, I'm not here to make any type of statement or not here to argue whether this is a good, um, f- uh, a good policy on criminal justice and clemency uh, laws, because um, that's really what's going on here. It's part of the judicial system there. Um, that's, that's really not the point. But it's to see how, really just kind of reflect on what's going on here. Notice some of the things that are, um, some of the people that are described here in this um, in this article, in the very at the top in the beginning, people here that are that are looking for a clean slate. A tall man in a sharp blazer caught a quarter century ago with 127 doses of LSD. A ponytailed Navy veteran who critically injured someone while driving drunk. A burly man twice convicted of assaulting his wife now sitting beside him. A former addict once found unconscious in a car, syringe jutting from his arms continues, others dogged by the past. They had come to the Minnesota capital of St. Paul on this steamy summer day to be forgiven, restored, redeemed. I find, I find something, it, I've been wrestling with that. It's both powerful and yet um, challenging that there's this um, on the one hand, this strong desire for mercy, and yet um, people that are living within the consequences of their actions. And it seems that the Board of Pardons um, is granting, um, more often than not, grants the requests they have, but it's this constant measuring of worthiness that I want to kind of ref- have us reflect on, that 
kind of has, has me feeling a little uneasy. Because when we hear in that language, and if we're familiar with this, our own language of, 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 of mercy and forgiveness, this kind of rubs a little bit against it. This, someone has to um, make amends before forgiveness is given. In fact, one man was denied of his pardon because he was unable to fully repay those he swindled. And those 10 minutes surely are filled with um, not only like, hey, my, I, I've, I've changed my life, but also here's what I've done to amend it, or here's why and how I am worthy of pardon, worthy of mercy, worthy of forgiveness. That's what kind of makes us maybe feel a little bit uneasy, even though we acknowledge, understand that this is completely different than our own Christian faith, and this is something that's happening in the justice system. Because we might start thinking about the people that are, that are victims of some of these things, and, and what does it look like for, for, for those people to receive mercy? We can really wrestle with that. But that idea of us having to prove and, and demonstrate our worthiness point of that is this. There's a kind of mercy that's given here by the board, by the board of pardons. And, and, and however we view that is, it is incomparable to the mercy that we receive from God, the divine pardon that we receive. And yet what we see here is a world trying to, to somehow reconcile this. Not only the brokenness of the world and, and, and our cries of outrage and, and calls for justice, but also this impulse towards mercy. And, but what we find, though, is it's, it's incomparable. It, there's no way it can amount to the mercy that we receive from God. This God who is merciful to the unrighteous, not because we come before him with all the ways that we've shown our, our, our uh, the ways that we've made amends, the ways that we show that we've changed our life, the way that we have shown our worthiness, and the way that we've repaid all the things that we have done to others. Even if, but we come before a God not with any of those things in our hand. But we've all come before him empty-handed. We come before him with the empty hands of a broken, shameful past. A sinful life. And that's how God greets us and meets us with his mercy. And yet we look at a world that in time, at times and often is, is faulty and broken and, and, and the world is, is kind of pulling us away in, in certain things, but is also trying to reconcile that and can't fig- is not going to be able to figure it out. There's, there's not a mercy that's comparable to that what comes from God. And there's no way to replicate that in our lives and in our culture. There's no way to reconcile, uh, to, to, excuse me, there's no way for us to, um, to recreate that in policy and nor should we. But we have this unique opportunity and position for us as Christians, for us as the church, to look at the world's attempt to reconcile the injustice in the world and also to express compassion and mercy and, and to recognize that our foundation, our roots are truly settled and, um, and completely, firmly set on our identity in Christ. And it's, it's our hope and it's our prayer that as Christians that we would then use that to engage with the world around us. That we would be people that would um, call for both justice but also love and compassion. 
and that we would do those things well and faithfully. Remembering that, as Paul says here, is the reminder that kind of uh, closes out the text that we have this morning, this, this reminder that God is in control, that our trust, that's why we can be confident in the, the firm place that we stand. Knowing that the world is um, either, if, if it is searching for it, is not able to find it, or is, is completely it, um, looking and pursuing different things. We have this unique and beautiful opportunity and position as Christians, as God's people, to live and to share that in the world around us. And yet still reminded that God is with us, he is in control, and he calls us into this world to engage with. And we certainly have um, an incredible faith and in, in, in teaching of God's words to equip, enable, and empower us to do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's that final thing um, that we ask for, for you to enable and to equip us to look into the world, and even though we see brokenness and we might be appalled at it, to also find ways in which we can speak and, and use our gifts and the, the ways in which you've called us into our lives to engage with the world, to offer hope where it is needed, to call out evil where it is evident, and to point people to the incredible mercy that is offered by you. Strengthen us in that as we go about into our lives, but also I pray that you would just uh, keep us, um, keep us remind, keep us in, in really steadfast in the, um, in the truth that we continue to find that what it means to live as God's people. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life that you have called us to under his name, with him as our firm foundation. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.